0: Welcome to the 5 of my life with me Nigel Marsh. As an author, adman and theologian, I've always been interested in people's stories. Not just those with a high profile, but people from all walks of life, regardless of fame, which is why I created this show. Each guest who takes the 5 of my life challenge chooses a favourite film, book, song, place and possession. They tell me their choices in advance so I can research them, but they don't tell me why they've chosen them. That's the subject of our conversation. It's amazing what you can learn when discussing someone's five choices. I hope you enjoy listening to the show as much as I enjoy making it. Father's Day in Australia, I've put together a best-of episode with a collection of stories from five guests about their dads. These are a moving and intimate reflection of the deep connection to, and memories of, our fathers. I hope you enjoy them as much as I do. Damien Callanan has won loads of awards for his acting, comedy and writing. He's a wonderful storyteller and chose the Isle of Innisfree, a tiny island in County Sligo Island, as his place. It is inextricably linked to his late father in this incredibly moving story.
1: A famous poem by William Butler Yeats. Uh, and uh, the story for me goes back to my father used to read to me. Um, and my dad was, as I said, of amateur actor and headmaster, but an English literature teacher and had a great and profound love words and also used to read to me an accent. So anyway, this poem in particular by, by Yeats, I'm one of those... Um, Celtic Australians who wears my heritage on my sleeve. I'm a, I'm a Eureka Stockade descendant. My great-grandfather and his three brothers all fought, and their, um, their sister was very much involved in the story as well. So I think that all of those things come together to this this poem having a place for me. Our dad passed away a few years ago, and in his lady, last couple of years, I used to read these same poems back to him. And there were moments where I would start reading, and he would be bit glazed over, and then, he would just come in on certain lines and just recite them with me without reading them, and this was one of them. The Dublin Film Festival, the Glasgow Film Festival, asked us to tour with the film. And so I was travelling Ireland with my film, and, you know, I've been to Ireland five times, and I just adore the place and feel the visceral connection. And we were doing the the film screening in Sligo City, and I said to my brother and sister who'd come along for the trip, I said, we've got to go to Loch Gill. Um, And I'd been there once before and couldn't find the the Isle of Innisfree.
0: Can I just interrupt for the people listening? It is the first line of this poem says, I will arise and go now and go to Innisfree. Yeah. And Innisfree is a real place. It is. It is a real island in Lockgill and you are in County Sligo. So you want to go in to the actual island yes. mentioned in the poem that you read to your dad. I love it. So, And you've been before and you couldn't find it. And here you are again with your bro and your sister. Here
1: I am. So we, we found a little road. It was like a road through someone's farm and it's fog lifting off the water, but overcast, not, not a, not a colour to be seen apart from green or grey. There's a kind of a, yeah. uh, I guess, a boat ramp going into the water. The car like just starts to bend as it enters the water, and it's like it's an underground tunnel to in spree. So you can't get to it unless you've got a boat or whatever. And I got out of the car, and I've never had such a visceral response to place in my life. The words to the poem are, are on a plaque next to it, and ah, and I went, I went and read the poem, and I and I could see my brother standing like on the last part of the the boat ramp into the water, and we, my brother and I, have bear a strong resemblance to my father. And it was like I was watching his spirit. And it was such a profound moment. I was, I was in tears, as I almost am now, the, the moment. And I got to relive that story on stage in the Q&A after the film. And, you know, when you, you tell a story like that, that is so clearly from the heart, and these people, the Sligo people, and when they heard that story, they kind of, there was just thumping applause afterwards that I'd been, you know, on this journey through words into this film and my father never got to see the film and to have have this audience respond to that story, my connection to the poem. It was just a it was just one of those moments that can't be explained almost.
0: It's just so lovely. Listening to you tell this story, I mean, and I t- tell you what, from from researching it and looking at it and then listening to you now, it actually makes me want to go, and I've got no connection to it, yeah, none. And and the story behind the poem, which I just adore, is Yates was walking down Fleet Street, in a shitty, busy, noisy, polluted uh, main street, and he saw a little fountain in a shop window. Yeah, right. And you and I, slightly less literary than Yates, might think fuck me i wish i wasn't here but yates yeah. thinks i will arise and go now to innisfree
1: <laughs> yeah In his mind yeah he hit a similar trajectory I mean, not to equate my career to yates but he kept he kept evolving and changing and you know became a playwright and his mind kept evolving and he was able to use his imagination to to connect him to stuff and i, and I certainly found that during the pandemic that my imagination allowed me to survive i think better better than many and, uh, and he, he has that ability to take you there, too. It's a particular gift. Like, when I saw it for the first time, I saw Inish Free, I don't know what I expected to see, but it was it. And it's tiny. It's tiny, Nigel. It's like a little... And
0: then there's no buildings on it?
1: Nothing, yeah. I think there's Nothing. a jetty, but yeah.
0: Thank you. This has been such an enjoyable conversation, and thank you for committing to the format. It is just lovely hearing a slightly different side of your life and your stories. <laughs> Gus Walland is a sports nut, a media personality, radio host, family man, and a proud father. As his song choice, he chose this classic from Louis Armstrong What a Wonderful World.
2: tell me why you've chosen that well it, it's it's particularly strong right now cuz i've just lost my father-in-law oh, i'm sorry he was an englishman and we went across to lincolnshire to to bury him and as people were walking into the crematorium we had that blazing and as they walked oh, out tears. we oh. had a blazing too um, jerusalem in between so right. you know you pommies you you can do an event well um, his old mates from the rugby club, who came down from Liverpool, where he was originally from, um, in Wallasey, their tears coming down their eyes because they remember that song originally coming out and dancing to that and trying to get a kiss at the end of the night at the you know off a ladies' dance card. Um, so my wife and I just said, "Well, that's a simple one." Jerusalem, obviously, is a simple one. He wasn't a religious man, but it, he was sort of prone, if you like, to ha- having that type of music around him. And I just remember just walking out the back of our place when he came out to visit, you know, with uh, a pipe in his mouth, um, a bottle of some type of beer, um, just listening to that music with his eyes shut mm. and the the pipe in the mouth and the other hand just sort of, you know, I know this is hard on a podcast, but just sort of floating through the air as, a, as the music just overtook him. Um very emotional stuff, and now when we hear it and see it, of course, it just brings a smile, but also a tear to our um tear to our eyes. My dad passed away um, in the same week that my
0: um, wife's dad passed away, Tough. And, and in in England. Uh, Were you over here then? Yeah, mm. and we um we went over. It was a particular week before week before Christmas, where on the Tuesday we buried my dad, and on the Thursday we buried Kate's dad. Oh. Happy Christmas! Ho ho ho! Yeah. Um, so this was this year. This happened, was it?
2: Yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago. Where? Oh, where how, how's I Vicky? Was actually, oh, she Vix is fine now. Her sister's over here at the moment. So we brought the sister and the two nephews over. So they're been with us for a couple of weeks. Um, I mean, we bought a we bought a house and then we built a little house out the back for him to stay in. He was one of those grandfathers that would tell a story without a book. So he'd lie down and he'd just tell stories of when he was in the Navy or when he ran to pub, he was a publican and he was also a um, teacher at, at Wells Cathedral School, which was a very posh sort of forces school down in Somerset near Bath, which is where I met Vicky on my gap year. I went there from my school. So there's so many great synergies and I met him when I wasn't with my wife. It was just his daughter. So he and I were great mates and he took me under his wing and would go eat the first couple of pints I ever drank in the Fountain Inn in Somerset were with Bill. And when I asked years later for uh, Vicky's Hand in Marriage, um, he said, well, it's better an asshole that I know than an asshole that I don't know. He said, because no one's going to be good enough, but you'll do sort of thing. And he goes, well, at least I can come and live in Australia, <laughs> get a bit of sun during November, December, January, February. And, um, he did that nearly every year from the time that we lived out in Australia and, uh, you yeah, know, much loved. And, um, much missed. We're in fact going to sprinkle him across Mona Vale headland on uh, on Sunday because my daughter's 15th birthday and uh, he used to love sitting out there looking at the ocean because he was an ex-seaman. And um, we're going to sprinkle half of him. He came in a Ziploc bag on the flight across (laughs) across the Pacific Ocean to come here. So we're going to sprinkle him in that ocean on Sunday. And he was in the Navy? Yeah, he was in the Navy. Uh, My wife was born in Plymouth, so he was down there, and his boat used to come in and out of Plymouth back in the uh, late 60s.
0: So I was born in Plymouth. My father was in the Royal Navy for 30 years. All my family's from Somerset. That's amazing. We are brothers from another mother. We
2: certainly are.
0: Jeffrey Kamins, who has served at Emmanuel Synagogue in Sydney for over 30 years, is renowned for promoting social justice and his work in the community. For his possession, he chose a bronze sculpture that his late dad created.
3: So the sculpture uh, was done by my dad. I don't know the year. I could look at uh, the bottom of the, uh, I think it was in the 1970s or 80s. He always was a fabulous artist. Uh, when he was a kid, we still have some of the charcoal drawings that he did, and he would tell the story. He's passed away uh, in 1998, so over 20 years ago. And uh, he uh, was doing, you know, as a kid charcoal drawings and then his parents saw his talent. So they send him to a class where there was live uh, model and you know, he'd have to um, you know he was so shy and embarrassed. He'd kind of look up and then cover his <laughs> eyes and draw and look up and cover his eyes and draw. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so he would tell that story, but he, w- so he did, beautiful charcoals and then later in life he would have been in his 50s as he had a little bit more time because he was an incredible lawyer he was president of the beverly hills bar association he was and uh, renowned at the state bar of california and the most ethical person i've ever met and also an atheist so he uh, a, a jewish atheist yeah he right. he'd um our family, uh, his, all my grandparents were born in Chicago, and uh, then came to Los Angeles. My mom was born in L.A. My dad came there as sevens, and so we were truly an assimilated family, truly secular family. I never went to synagogue uh, except for friends' bar mitzvahs as a kid. I only started learning Judaism after my time in Israel, and uh, my. So my dad is an atheist, and yet the most ethical person. And That's why I have never believed that one needs religion to be good. In fact, just the opposite. If you need something written down in a book from a long time ago to tell you what's right and wrong, then you don't have a very strong inner moral development. You know you, that should be able to come from within through the guidance that one gets from family, culture, and society. Some of which is going to be influenced by those those books and those stories. So my dad started doing all kinds of three dimensional sculptures, working with clay and then into bronze. And he did a whole series of lovers and then of cowboys. And then he started doing uh, Jewish figures as well. And he would do them off a of photograph. So this is a photograph of a, a rabbi who was studying a, ah. a, a Jewish text. And and so, part of it is just the irony that you know. Then I became a rabbi, and can you imagine? I had to quit working in my father's <laughs> law office, <laughs> not knowing what I was going to do. So I'm now like, you know, what was I was 27, almost 28, clueless as to what was I was going to do in life, and then having to tell him that I was going to become. A rabbi, <laughs> yeah. because I'd had that moment of revelation that that was the way of being able to, you know, work in community, which is something that I'd always wanted to do, is to transform community and society, but now to do it not as a politician, but to take all my spiritual drive. Because unlike my father, I always had a sense, even in that bedroom in Encino as a little kid, that there was a presence beyond this material world. I deeply sensed it and I felt it more than once not as often as i would like i've always had to be true though that the kind of rabbi will be is one that my father would respect therefore to be as non-judgmental as possible and as you know guiding on a moral path
0: jeffrey it's really wonderful to hear you tell that story Talk a little bit about your relationship with your dad, both as, as a, the, the father-child relationship, but also as a grown, successful <laughs> rabbi and and a
3: grown ex-lawyer atheist with a rabbi's son. You know, the area you described, as kids, we idolized our dad, right? And he was an incredible teacher he would look over our homework at night when you know with the red pen and teach us how to write better and think better and uh he also uh with my mom exposed us you know to the world beyond our house we he did everything in the garden with my mom and so uh sundays were days where we would either be out in the garden pulling weeds or picking up the worms from the lawn or the snails or whatever or um, we would take the car down to the beach and, uh, you know, just or go up into the hills and have hikes. So he, you know, introduced us to nature and things like that. He was also incredibly family oriented. Uh, he worked hard, hard, hard long hours. Every Saturday he would go into the office. And so uh, many a Saturday morning I would go with him and read a book in the office because afterwards we'd go over to visit his mom, uh, my grandmother. And so we, we learned what it is to respect family to know to respect elders and he just imparted so many deep deep lessons to us but then like everyone else you know it's the late 60s it's the early 70s and the questioning authority and that's just natural as a teenage boy and the only boy in the family um you know challenging my father and it got and i um I think I relate to teenagers very well because I had, you know, some uh, turgid and uh, turbulent, uh, you know, teen years. Uh, there was. Some Are you t- saying you went off the rails, Jeffrey? Not well. Probably more emotion. I, my marks were always at the top of the class, but emotionally, yes, you know. And there, perhaps, I could have been guided more differently, but I don't think my mom and dad had. Those skills then, and also, I mean, the late 60s and 70s was just, it was a revolutionary time. Everything just, you know, hit the fan, so to speak. And it took a long time to find equilibrium. And my parents did get divorced in that time, and and that created complications in relationship. But I have to say, by the time I was in my 20s and uh, done with law school and it was working with them, incredibly close relationship incredibly deep and loving and respectful yeah he taught me the most important lessons in life he sounds an amazing man and and uh, 98 sounds a bit a bit early yeah was in world war ii decorated soldiers silver star and bronze star um and uh never a scratch came out worked as a lawyer never sick a day in his life and then just toward retirement developed some blood condition that the treatment was a little bit of a form of chemotherapy. I didn't realize that had a risk factor of uh, bringing on leukemia and mm. one day it did. And six weeks later he was gone. And, and you were it, by then. I I was uh, back and forth. Uh, I, I, I was here at that time. Yeah. And uh, I thank God I, Uh, was able to be there the last week of his life but and that's always and that's the hardest thing of being an expat is being Mm, away from family i have a beautiful wife here and the family that she's created is you know family here but it's you know not the same as the family into which you were born The, the family that i have from my first relationship as well is also dear to me and they're all over there
0: i i would like to make this conversation ten times longer because you have, you have brought your real sense, real sense of yourself in today and that's a real privilege, so thank you. Rob Carlton is a professional actor, writer and producer who's won many accolades over the years. The story about his favourite possession is one of the most moving I've ever heard. And it's about a stick.
4: Okay. I own a stick. And it. if my house was on fire, I guess it's this old hypothetical, what would you save? The stick. Well, because it would obviously, <laughs> it's combustible, so I didn't want my house to burn more. <laughs> it's a stick. 12 months before I was born, my mum and my dad and my two older sisters were huddled on a beach in New Zealand and it was cold and it was wet and my mum picked up a stick because my older brother had died that day, eight weeks old of cot death and my mum picked up a stick and she held it and I grew up with that stick in the house. We used that stick to stir our curries with. My dad was an extraordinary cook. And for many, many years, all I knew it, it was the, the the stick that cooked the, the, the curries with. It's about a foot long, beautiful piece of driftwood, soft to touch. Lovely, interesting shape. Uh, stir the curries. And at some point, I can't remember the moment when, but I learned about the story as to how our family came by that stick. Then. Um, as sensible parents do when they reach a certain age, they start to divest themselves of their belongings uh, and they give these things away. Uh, my mum and dad gave uh, the stick to me, so I now own that stick. And then as I grew up, it was in my kitchen and then my boys were born and then I told my story of, uh, to the boys as to how that stick comes to be in my life. And my boys, young and funny and interesting, they gave it a name. It had never had a name before, and they called it the Stick of Richard Life. Oh, Richard being your Richard deceased being brother. Richard my deceased brother. The Stick of Richard Life. That's the name of the stick. Then my father passed away in 2015, Christmas Eve. He died. Very difficult. Now, on Christmas Day... My son was stirring the ice cream with the new ice cream maker that he'd had. Obviously, it's a devastatingly sad day. All my family was up at my house and my son had got the stick of Richard Life and was stirring the ice cream the day after my dad died and the stick broke in half. And the stick broke in half as my mother was walking past my son. And... My son knew what the stick was to me and to my mum, 20 times that. And he looked up with these big, wide eyes, not knowing what to do. And my mum responded in a way that captures the essence of that woman without skipping a beat. She said, Oh, well, darling, not to worry a very old stick. Maybe just keep the two halves and perhaps put it somewhere where we won't lose it. (laughs) Because that's my mum. My mum, her greatest gift to me, and I don't know how she did this, Nigel. I was born 12 months after Richard died. I have only ever ever been shown a world that would be kind to me, would be generous to me if I was kind to it. I was brought up with no sense that my life could finish quick. I was brought up with no sense that there was danger around every corner. And yet every single time I went to sleep, must have been the most desperately sad time and worrying time for my mum and dad. My my brother died of cot death. He simply went down for his afternoon nap and never woke up. So this stick had that moment, and then the final part of a story I'll tell. This stick brought out the most extraordinary thing. I then um, was down. I, I'd written a, a little story about my stick, and I'd shared it with my family. I was desperately worried because it was a personal story and it was a family story, and I didn't know. And this was in the months after. Um, th- th- no, this was sorry. This was bef- just before my dad had died, and I was down in Melbourne. And I was talking to um, my sister about this story and about this stick and about the day that Richard died. And, and I still remember at that point, family law was mum, my, my sister's memory of my mother running down a garden path, yelling, he's dead, he's dead. And it still breaks my heart when I think of my mum in that situation. And my older sister looked at me and she said, Rob, that's not my most compelling memory of the day. I said, what is? And she said, it was dad. Dad banging on the roof of an ambulance as that ambulance drove away. And of course, back in the day, they never saw the boy again. There was no burial for a kid that was eight weeks old. There was a, he just went. And that was my sister's memory of it. And she told me that in the foyer down at the uh, theatre in Melbourne. We just, for some strange reason, we were at the theatre together that night. We hadn't organised it. And after the show, we were in the foyer and she told me that story when she told me that moment of my dad banging on the ambulance, which I'd never heard before, I literally howled immediately and collapsed on the ground and was inconsolable. Now, I've got a couple of theories as to why I responded the way I did. For some reason, I think it's like a genetic memory, that sense of this extraordinary pain that my father felt. And then... Over the ensuing weeks, I felt this growing guilt that I'd never acknowledged my father's pain in losing his son because our family narrative has always been, it was so much harder for your mother. That was dad's position. It was so much harder for your mother. And I only never knew about my mum running down the garden path, yelling, he's gone. I didn't know about that. And I thought, God, I've dishonored my father and I've dishonored his experience. I haven't acknowledged what he had when he lost a child. And of course you only know that when you have kids you're of, your, of your own, imagining that. And so I was lucky enough to bring this up with my dad a little while later because he'd read that story I was talking about. He called me up to say, I love that story. And I said, dad, thanks so very much. I said, but I might just say, I want to acknowledge, I don't think I've ever really acknowledged your pain at losing a son. We've never had that conversation. And without skipping a beat and without a sense that he was pushing stuff under a carpet, he went straight back to it. He said, Of course it was difficult. He says, but it was so much worse for your mum. You know, back in the, I was working so hard and she carried that child for nine weeks, and it was it was really. Now, this gets me to the point of that. He told himself that. He told himself what he needed to tell himself to get through that time. He needed to be a person that was solid and strong so that those around him could fall apart and grieve and not know whether they wanted to wake up the next day. He had to say it's worse for that person and that person and that person so that as part of a family dynamic, as his role as a father, I do think he sublimated his own feelings so that the team could get through it. And of course, at that point, I didn't push him further. I acknowledged and honoured his story that he told himself, but I also have no doubt feeling what I felt that day when I heard that story, that his grief and his anguish was as potent as anything you could imagine, but he needed to tell himself a story to get others through it as well. And that's why that stick I had repaired now and it now doesn't sit Down in the kitchen where it might get broken again. It's no no longer a utensil. It sits up on my desk where I see it every day.
0: Oh, wonderful, mate. Wonderful. And tears in your eyes when you were telling that. It's just a beautiful story. Julia Gillard was the first female Prime Minister of Australia, and it is well known that she had a wonderful relationship with her father, so it's not surprising that her possession choice was a particular photo of her dad.
5: I've got many photos, of course, of my father and mother, but this photo is one of Dad kind of caught, um, not unawares. He has obviously had someone call out to him and the photograph's been snapped, but he is at the kitchen sink, he's washing dishes, he's got a tea towel just draped over his shoulder And it says a lot to me about him as a man, because that's who he was. Uh, It says a lot to me about, uh, you know, now I do so much work on gender stereotypes. It says a lot to me about men who don't live confined by those stereotypes. And it says a lot to me about Life being about the small moments, not necessarily the grand occasions. I think that's
0: a wonderful uh, a wonderful possession to have chosen. There's a phrase, if you're going to be it, you need to see it. And the story, actually, Richard Glover was telling me about the, uh, about the Indian girls and the outcomes are different when they see other female leaders, just modelling the right behaviour. And on the, the small things, for me, I worry that our media doesn't have the capacity to have balance and perspective and celebrate the victories. And I love the way earlier when you were talking about how far we've come, it is possible to acknowledge two things at the same time. There is lots to do. There will always be lots to do. But let's look back at the life of people in the 1300s, the 1600s, the 1800s. You know, we've come a long way. So I I think it's a really lovely... Message about the small things because in reality, not many of us can be, you know, JFK or Winston Churchill or Ellen Johnson salif or, or Julia Gillard. We're, we're just sort of doing the best we can, putting one foot in front of the other. And, and you've been a, you've been a legend, Julia, to come on Five of My Life and be so honest and open and authentic. Uh, but I'm not going to let you go. Who do you want to hear on Five of My Life next?
5: I think at this time, it's great to be reaching out to people in the creative industries because they're doing it so, so tough and we need our storytellers, we need the people who help create the space for us to think through issues large and small. So maybe I would say Tim Minchin
0: tim minchin i would love to get him on and the fact that you've chosen him might just be the thing that persuades him (laughs) (laughs) julia thank you so much for sharing your five on five my life i know people are going to love listening to your stories I i certainly have thank you very much indeed thank you Thank you for listening to this episode. If you follow five of my life, you might enjoy my latest book, Smart, Stupid and 60. In it, I write about a number of the issues discussed on the show. It's the 20-year follow-on from my first book, Fat 40 and Fired. If you have any feedback on the book or suggestions for the show, please get in touch via my website, nigelmarsh.com.